Well, I have learned one thing this morning. Don't tell the youth minister anything. <laughs> prime minister. Remember, prime minister. What I didn't tell Jared was after I survived one trip into the computer room, I got back to my office and I got to looking at my PowerPoint presentation again and realized I needed to make another change. So I actually survived two trips through the window into uh, the computer room this morning. And actually, I'm feeling pretty good about myself that I didn't break a leg or an arm or, or anything else, especially in lieu of what Luke said to me this past Thursday night on the telephone. He was driving to uh, Colorado with his final load, and I found out later he called his mother, he called his brother, and then he called his dad to kind of help him make the 10 to 11 hour trip from Oklahoma City uh, to Denver. And so he says, Dad, just checking in with you, you know, how things going in Paris. And he said, have you started an old men's basketball league yet? <laughs> and my first thought was, hey, you turn around that vehicle right now and you come down to Paris and I'll show you what an old men's basketball league is. But then I decided, no, I better not do that. Uh, but anyway. I survived the two trips uh, through the window into the control room, and whoever fixed the door, I am grateful. Uh, so we might just want to leave the door open from now on uh, to the computer room. It's good to see everyone here this morning. It was so good yesterday morning to see the sun, right? I mean, we're always thankful for rain most of the time, but it seemed like we just hadn't seen the sun much. Uh, the past week, so it was really good uh, to see the sun. The sun's bright and shiny this morning, and uh, we're all assembled here together uh, to uh, enjoy being together, to enjoy coming into the presence of God this morning as we have praised His name, and now we'll uh, share together uh, from His Word. One quick reminder... I think we have about 10 days left to reach our goal of 1,000 little hygiene kits for Haiti. And if you notice in your bulletin, that count is up over 600. So we're, we're pretty much, pretty much on, on pace. And I know some more have uh, come in this morning uh, after Tanya printed the bulletin. So we may be up closer to 700 uh, by now because I know several have been uh, brought in. But let's keep, let's keep working and uh, let's reach that goal of uh, 1,000 of these little hygienic kits uh, that our group will take uh, to Haiti. Please be praying for that group. Uh, this will be an awesome trip and we'll do an awesome uh, ministry there in, in Haiti in January. So... If you have any questions about that, you can see Clint uh, Spencer. I know Jared has a lot of information, and uh, but just be praying about that special uh, outreach uh, opportunity. If you have your Bible, please open it uh, to Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to be looking at verse 24 for our text here uh, in just a moment. Uh, we are 
down to our next to last sermon on this current series of Making Disciples, which is a part of our Connect with God uh, part of our mission statement or our uh, vision statement. And this series began with a lesson from the Great Commission where Jesus extends to us as his disciples to go, to go and make disciples. But then the past several lessons we've been focusing on, upon what it means to be a disciple. The thought kind of being, in order to, to go and make disciples, we must be a disciple. And so we're down to our next to last lesson. And this morning I want to discuss what I believe is the greatest challenge of discipleship. And we will find that in chapter 16 and verse 24 in, in just a moment. Some of you might remember uh, a 1992 book that uh, Brother Leonard Allen, then of Abilene Christian University, uh, that he wrote. It was actually the third of a trilogy of books that he wrote in the late 80s and early 90s that uh, were very thought-provoking, very challenging for uh, members of the Churches of Christ. And his last one was titled, The Cruciform Church, Becoming a Cross-Shaped People, in a secular world. And in one chapter of that book, Alan makes three points about what he calls the way of the cross. We just sang about the way of the cross. Number one, the way of the cross is opposite of the way of the world. The way of the cross understands that suffering is a part of life. And number three, the way of the cross must shape Christian discipleship. Now, I remember when I purchased this book way back in 1992, I had to look up the word cruciform because I really didn't know what it meant. But the word cruciform means being in the shape of a cross to be cross-shaped. And if Alan is correct, and I, I believe he is, then one of the aspects of the way of the cross uh, for Christian discipleship is being shaped by the cross. Right? And so as we think about our discipleship, as we think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, thinking about and even realizing the impact of the cross of Jesus what it has, what it is to have upon our life, not only for our salvation, but our continuing life in Jesus as we seek to follow Him and what it means to be cross-shaped. And so this morning, I believe the greatest challenge of discipleship is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The greatest challenge 
of, dis, of discipleship, the greatest challenge of following Jesus is taking up that cross. And so this text teaches us three steps to becoming a cruciform disciple. A disciple of Jesus that is shaped and formed by his cross. Well, this is a pretty easy text uh, to outline. Step one, uh, Jesus says, is to deny yourself. To deny yourself. This past Thursday night, I was a part of a little uh, Bible study group, and we discussed this text uh, together. And this is one of the things we talked about. What does it mean to deny self? And one of the comments that was made emphasized that we live in a culture in which we are encouraged to promote self. We, we live in, in a culture that is all about individual rights. And, and to deny self might involve letting go of some of those individual rights. The word that is translated to deny in most of our English translations comes from a root that literally means to say no. So to deny self is to say no to self, to surrender one's self, to refuse oneself, to disregard uh, self. And of course, Jesus provides for us the greatest example of that. In one of the more powerful texts that talks about how Jesus denied himself is found in Philippians uh, chapter 2. So turn real quickly over to Philippians chapter 2. And I thought I had my Bible marked at Philippians, and I don't. So I'm turning with you. Philippians chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, Paul gets very practical with the Christians in the ancient city of Philippi, and he's encouraging them to take on Christ-like attitudes. And it kind of culminates with what many New Testament scholars believe is originally a first-century hymn that Christians used to sing about Christ. Regardless, it is this, this beautiful picture of how Jesus denied himself. Let's begin reading in verse 6. Who, that is Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The point has been made that Jesus denied himself, relinquished his rights, not once, but twice. First of all, he let go of his rights as the Son of God. He did not use his deity to his own advantage. He gave up that right. Then secondly, he gave up his right as a human being to have, at least in our context today, a fair trial. He is falsely accused. 
as we sometimes sing, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. And he willingly, obediently relinquished that human right for life and gave himself upon the cross. So this idea of denying self and using Jesus as our example implies the willingness, if necessary, if the circumstances demand to, de to die a martyr's death. And fortunately, we live in a country where that's really not a concern. But it's a very real concern for other Christians scattered around the, the world. And so maybe for them to deny self and to take up a cross has a little different meaning or a little different impact upon their own lives. But it should have the same impact upon us as well. The second thing, and here's really, to pardon the pun, the crux of the matter, and that is to take up your cross. Uh, the word that's translated uh, take up is, is a, a powerful metaphor, a powerful word picture of the condemned in Roman society picking up the horizontal beam and carrying it to the place of execution. And the idea here is in order to do that, in order to pick up that horizontal beam, our hands must be free. Not, we must not be clutching on to anything else. Step one, denying ourselves, let going of some things so that we have that capability of picking up that horizontal crossbeam and carrying it. We're going to talk at the end of this lesson how a cross is an instrument of death. And, and the, the idea there is that we all have to die to self. We all have to let go of those things that maybe keep our hands full and make it more difficult for us to pick up that cross. And so to let go, again, to deny and be willing to pick up that horizontal beam and carry it as we follow Jesus, which in this text is the third step. Uh, the word uh, follow in lesson three of this series uh, I suggested was the, the word that best describes being a disciple. And if you go all the way back uh, to lesson three in this series, several weeks ago, this is what we learned about following Jesus, that Jesus initiates the invitation to follow him. In other words, he extends a call, and we answer that call. And Jesus becomes the object object of the disciples' faith. Our hope is then placed in Jesus uh, as the Christ. And, and I think uh, that particular morning we looked at uh, Jesus' initial calling of Peter, Andrew, James, and John from Matthew chapter 4. And we made these three points. Jared brought to us by the letter P. Purpose, promptness, and priority. To follow Jesus means that we have a new purpose. In understanding that purpose, it's a decision that we must not delay. It needs to be made promptly. It needs to be made immediately. And answering that call and following Jesus 
then becomes the primary priority of our lives. So what does it take to be a cruciform disciple? What all is involved in being shaped by the cross? It means to deny self. It means to let go and to pick up that horizontal beam and then to continue to follow Jesus. So as we think about this particular text and as we uh, begin to, to kind of reflect upon this verse, let me suggest five things this morning uh, as we kind of begin uh, to conclude about the importance of being shaped by the cross and, and hopefully some reminders and maybe even a practical thing or two to again help us to become more cruciform. Number one, the cross is what we focus upon. I had not visited with Dusty this past week to tell him this was going to be one of my points. And did you pick up, I did, because I knew the word focus was coming, how many times he mentioned focused in his prayer. Thank you. And the, and the emphasis upon focusing upon Jesus. And, and we can't focus upon Jesus unless we also focus upon the cross. Right? You know, that, that beautiful hymn that we often sing, uh, the old rugged cross on a hill far, far away. Very beautiful to sing. But, but let's bring it a little closer, all right? And, and let's focus upon it and think about it, not as it being on a hill far, far away, but right there before us. And constantly viewing it, constantly looking at it, constantly looking toward it, and allowing its message, its impact, to have a tremendous influence upon our life. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 2, Paul is, is challenging uh, the Christians in Corinth. And he, he makes this very point. He says, you know, when I come to you, all right, and when I'm with you, and when I'm living my life, I determine to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. And if you do a little study of, of the cross, the word cross, or uh, the verb to crucify in the writings of Paul, you'll see that he was a man of his word. He did think about that. In, in every sermon outline that we have of the Apostle Paul, it includes Christ crucified. And so if it was the focus of Paul, it should be our focus as well. Number two, our cross-carrying will not always be understood. Right? I mentioned a moment ago I had Galatians marked. Let's, let's look at two verses in the book of Galatians. First of all, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 11. Again, the Apostle Paul. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumc circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. The word translated uh, offense there is the word scandal. Right? It's the idea of, of being scandalized. Right? So there will be those, friends, family, 
those that uh, we come in contact with every day who may not understand why we have this crossbeam that we're carrying around. Right? It can be offensive to some. It can become a scandal for some. But Paul's point in this, in this text is it's worth it. Right? Just as Jesus was obedient to that death upon the cross, we must be obedient as well. So let's not be discouraged, I think is the point. Right? Even though we may be ridiculed, even though we may be shunned, even though we may be misunderstood, to persevere in carrying that cross. Jump down to verse 24 of Galatians 5. Paul has talked about acts of the flesh or uh, works of the flesh. He then moves in uh, to the fruit of the Spirit. And listen to what he says in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So here, here's the challenge. Renounce a worldly tendency this week. All right? Just, just as Paul says, the power of the cross should impact our lives in some very practical ways. We get rid of some stuff and we put on some stuff. All right? Go back to earlier in this lesson. What is it that we need to let go of All right? that will enhance our being shaped by the cross? So renounce some tendency that you maybe have that is difficult for you to let go of that is adversely affecting being cross-shaped. Right. And we, we talked about this last Thursday night in this little, little Bible study. It, it can be different for us. Might be pride for me. Might be bitterness for you. It might be a lack of patience for me, and it be anger for you, uncontrollable kind of anger, all right? I had some fun with some people this week, you know, talking about going to Walmart. You had to be here last week to understand that, all right? You need to let go of something, go to Walmart. That's a good place to work on stuff, as we learned last week. And I made a couple of trips this week, and... Worked on a couple of things, okay? So, so whatever that is, think about it, pray about it, and just renounce it. Right? Just let go of it uh, for a week. Number four, we are to carry our cross 24-7. Right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those three Gospels are sometimes referred to as the synoptic Gospels because they tend to see the story or tell the story of Jesus, see the story of Jesus in the same way, in the same order. Gospel of John, completely different story. Right? Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this cross saying of Jesus. Right? In Luke's account, and this is why I asked Jared to read Luke 9 uh, to begin our worship assembly this morning. Luke, in Luke's account, Jesus says, you carry your cross daily, right? not just on Sunday, not just on days when we're with other Christians, but daily, or we would say 24-7. 
There's, there's never a time that we don't carry our cross. And we go back to some of the things we've said about commitment and, and dedication. Uh, that's, that's implied and even required for those who would seek uh, to follow Jesus. All right, number five. And this is why I have the basket this morning. All right. Symbolically, carry or wear a cross as a reminder. Okay? And I'm, I made a mad dash for all the little pocket crosses in the city of Paris. You cannot find any today because I have them all right here in this basket. Hobby Lobby, Walmart didn't, didn't provide. Don't go to Walmart for a pocket cross, the little bookstore over here by the coffee shop. Okay? I wiped them all out. All right? So at the conclusion of this lesson, I'm going to put this little basket right back there on the table underneath uh, our pictures of our uh, former ministers, and you can go through and pick out a cross. I have mine with me this morning. Okay? Just a little reminder, just put that with your keys, your chains, in your pocket. Women, some of these are little charms. You might choose to wear yours to just remind us in a symbolic kind of way the importance of carrying our cross daily. Right? And, and they're, all, they're all different. Again, kind of illustrating, you know, my, what I might need to let go of is different from yours. So it's a very individual kind of thing. And yet, collectively, as we, and communally, as we encourage each other in this daily walk as a disciple of Jesus, as each one of us de determines to be shaped by the cross. On Wednesday night, some of you are participating with, with Lori and I. We, we are sharing uh, our trip to Israel uh, from February of 2017. And on one particular day, we were in the old city of Jerusalem, and we uh, visited the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows, the way of grief. Right? And it's, it's a path that kind of winds its way through uh, the streets of the old city, culminating at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is... Uh, a traditional site of Calvary and then the tomb of Jesus. Right? Uh, not uh, Scholars and archaeologists aren't completely convinced that, that historically all of it is, is accurate. accurate. Uh, there are 14 stations or 14 places identified on the Via Dolorosa. Uh, some of them we find in Scripture, some based on tradition. Well, Station 5 is supposedly the site where Jesus physically is overcome from carrying his cross. And Simon of Cyrene is just kind of picked from the crowd. All right? uh, the text reads this way, as they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon... And they forced him to carry the cross. It, it seems that this passing mention of Simon of Cyrene in the synoptics, again, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
is, is perhaps a historical illusion implying that because of this experience, Simon becomes a disciple of Jesus. Cyrene in the first century was the capital of Roman province, which, is, which was basically equivalent to modern Libya in North Africa uh, today. And so it could be that, that Simon uh, had actually, as a Jew, had come from uh, Cyrene to Jerusalem for the feast, or he may have originally been there and now lives in Jerusalem. But again, whatever, he is just kind of grabbed out of the crowd, so to speak, and required, again, forced to carry that horizontal beam to the place of execution for Jesus. What's interesting is the Gospel of Mark also mentions his two sons, Alexander and Rufus, who must have been known to Mark's readers. I mean, why, again, would you, would you mention those? And tradition places uh, Mark in Rome when he wrote his Gospel and... Paul addresses a Rufus in Romans 16, uh, 13 as a house church leader in Rome. And so if you kind of connect all of the dots, it's very possible that because of this instance in, in Simon's life, he becomes a Christian, he becomes a disciple, as well as uh, his two sons. But what Simon did by force, we must do by choice. And the question this morning is, have you made that choice to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and then to follow Jesus? That's the challenge of discipleship. Have you accepted that challenge. If you're subject to the invitation of Jesus to begin your walk by being immersed in his name or to continue that path of discipleship and be shaped by the cross, we want to encourage you to come while we stand and sing. Kyle.